Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. I'm a marriage and family therapist and licensed professional counselor trained in trauma and addiction. The Asking Why podcast is for anyone on a journey of healing and restoration. If you are searching for answers to life's questions and want to learn more about root causes from a psychological and theological mix, this show is for you. In this podcast, myself and a co-host from Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness will interview guests on a wide range of topics in order to get down to the heart of the problems facing our world and understand why things happen and how to change the world and ourselves for the better. Want to learn more tips and tricks to living a healthy lifestyle? Visit us at Clint Davis Counseling and Integrative Wellness on Facebook and Instagram. If you want to meet our staff or book a speaker, go to clintdaviscounseling.com. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe today. Putman Restoration is a proud sponsor of the Asking Why podcast. Putman Restoration specializes in commercial disaster services, including water damage, fire, smoke, mold, and storm. Their goal and desire is to get your properties up and running as soon as possible after disaster strikes. Hospitals, schools, hotels, and large municipal buildings, malls, churches, and large commercial properties are their specialty. Manage properties nationwide? No problem. Putman Restoration services their clients nationwide. They are strategically partnered with elite restoration companies throughout the U.S. and Canada, giving their clients resources during disasters where normal companies would be tapped out. Trust the professionals at Putman Restoration when disaster strikes. Visit them online at www.putmanrestoration.com or give them a call at 318-453-5029. Welcome to the Asking Why podcast. I'm your host, Clint Davis. Um, this is episode 75, so welcome. Um, this is going to be a holiday podcast, so we're going to talk about um, the holidays coming up and some of the things that I hear a lot of my clients talking about that they're nervous about, things that maybe they went through, triggers. You know, a lot of times during the holidays, are, you know, these are seasons that um, have a lot of memories, have a lot of grief, have a lot of heartache for all of us, um, and so it's a mixed bag. There can be things going on where there's grandparents that are gone, things that are going on where, you know, there was trauma that happened early on in our life or, you know, a lack of connection or intimacy with our family. Um, We see other families doing certain things that we don't get to do or never got to do. So there's just a lot to unpack. Um, So I'm going to stay specific on a few things. I think um, I'm talking to parents. I mean, I'm talking to grandparents as well, maybe gain some empathy if parents and grandparents are, are listening. But you know, a lot of stuff changes during the holidays when you move from the kid in the family system to the parent. And what I mean by that is, you know, we don't have kids. It's it, You might be single or you may have um, a wife or a husband. And, you know, it's easy for you to kind of jump around and go holiday um, shopping and go to you go to different places and travel and fly and drive. And, you know, your schedule is a lot more open and if you're listening to this and you don't have kids, you're like, oh, but I'm super busy and you don't understand. And parents always talk about how busy they are. And, and you're right. You are busy. There's a lot of things going on. But once you become a parent and you have kids, there's just a lot of things that change. You move from this kind of child state and this um, this consumer to the hopefully the giver, the the provider of the holidays. And as a parent, you're you're figuring that out. And so you know, as parents, we become these kind of experts, problem solvers in our lives for our kids. And you have the baby and there's a newborn and maybe the baby's a toddler. Any, any time where the kids, you know, seven, eight and under, we're trying to figure everything out. Um, and one thing that we never really talk about or never, re- we don't get trained in is, is how to handle the holidays after having kids. 
whether it's a little baby or a toddler or whatever. And there's so many things um, that we're already dealing with that are new. You know, how to, how to get the baby to go to sleep, um, potty training, tantrums, you know, breastfeeding, nursing issues. Um, the list goes on and on. And Or maybe you have another, another child and you're dealing with sibling issues or food allergies or sensory issues or, or whatever the thing is that, you know, you plan on a parent as a parent to have this kid. And then all of a sudden you get the kid, you get all the things, and then you get all these surprises that come with it. And so we're, while we're doing that, the holidays come around. And so we haven't even figured out how to be a parent and take care of this kid and keep them alive. And now we've got to figure out how to do holidays. And so all the while we have parents and grandparents and, you know, everyone else who kind of want to keep the routines the same. Many times, you know, they're used to doing Thanksgiving, doing Christmas, doing Easter, doing whatever it is, whatever holidays you celebrate um, in the same routine. They're, they're not thinking about the baby. They're not thinking about the changes. Or they're remembering their past with rose-colored glasses and thinking, well, we did this and we had kids and we still did X, Y, and Z, um, not realizing that the times are, are different or the kids different. And so as, as parents, we're trying to establish our own routines and our own traditions um, while just maintaining sanity and keeping these kids alive. Um, and again, this, this isn't made easy um, by extended family sometimes and, and by the traditions and the history that already exist, you know, there are these kind of established things. And so that can be from food to who travels where, but can be a lot as a new parent trying to figure out, um, you know, how to make holidays work. And, and you just kind of, what I see in clients and in people is people just kind of survive them. So Thanksgiving's coming up in a, next week and, and people are just going to like, everybody's kind of like, oh, we can make it through next week. Well, it's going to be chaos and we got to do this. And, and everybody's so stressed the week before, the couple weeks before, and they just try to get through it and they're like, oh, thank God that's over. And then Christmas is, you know, three, four weeks behind and then we're doing the same thing. And so we spend the last quarter of the year being completely stressed out, to be honest, being overwhelmed. And, and we have these little kids that are in this tiny developmental stage where they're soaking everything in and they need attention and attunement and attachment and, and time and affection. And, and a lot of times our stress and our anxiety and our frustration with other adults who can meet their own needs. And we forget about the kid who's right there and what they need because we're still stuck in the position of child. We're still trying to get affirmation and, and give affirmation to the parents or the grandparents or the siblings in our lives that should have been established and it would have been nice if they'd have been established a lot earlier on. And so we've got to figure out this balance. And so I hope that today in, in the short time that we have that we can f figure some of that stuff out. Um, so with the holiday season coming up, I thought, you know, it'd be a good idea to look at some ideas of how to establish new traditions and let go of things that don't work um, and learn to find a, a balance. You know, we, we, we were talking yesterday with somebody and I said, you know, you don't, you don't get to a balance. You strive for balance. There's man, if you can balance your diet and your Bible reading and your exercise and your parenting time and your spousal time and your work time, if you can balance all that, somebody please uh, send me that because you can make billions of dollars off how to get there. But I, I, I say we strive for balance. We, we're going to have areas of life that are out of balance and we have to you know, try to find find some health in there, and, and then other areas are going to shift. And, and it, that's just life. It's kind of striving for balance. So let's talk about how to establish some family holiday traditions in the next couple of weeks um, and how to do that in a healthy way. 
I mean, tr traditions are great. They're amazing if, if they bring you together and make you a tighter group and strengthen your marriage and strengthen your family. But if, if no one ever stops and asks, like, why do we do this the way that we do it? And what is the actual benefit of doing it? Then it ends up being that you just survive it and you get through it and you do it because it's the thing you do. If traditions have deep meaning, they can be super amazing. But sometimes we lose sight of the purpose of the holidays in light of the traditions and events we attend. So we, we, we lose sight of like what is it that we're actually celebrating. And so I want to make a point that the point of the holidays is to honor the season we're in. So Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving is the season of giving thanks. Now you can get caught up in pilgrims and and the things that they you know did and didn't do and native americans and all the you know unhealth and history and and the and the things that are there but really you can make it about giving thanks or for us as christians you know the birth of christ the celebration of of recognizing when jesus was born and how he was born and what that story is um as many of you know, Jesus was you know, probably born in like March. So we're celebrating that season. It doesn't mean it has to be this historical accurate thing to celebrate what it's about. But as many of us know, we, we, have not, we don't celebrate it that way. We don't do it for those reasons. We've turned you know, these, these holidays into things that they're not supposed to be for. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end. But it's not to make each other feel better and to work out all our issues from the year before or to, you know, validate each other when we don't have real connection and, and we feel disconnected. It's to show our kids and show our families together what, what the reasons for celebrating are. And so as you, as you look forward to kind of establishing traditions for your family, you want to ask a few questions. So what, what new tradition do we want to have with our own children? So think about that. What are some things that I want to do with my own kids that I want to establish that are new that, that maybe didn't happen in my childhood or didn't happen with my family and write some of those down and, and, and make those happen. What are, what are traditions that we um, want to continue from our childhoods? Like what are some things that were really good, that really made you feel loved, that made you feel secure, that brought people together? And then what new traditions do I want to begin with my children's grandparents? Right? So include the grandparents. Maybe, maybe you have unhealthy ones or they've passed or, or maybe um, they're unsafe, and, and of course I understand if you don't want to include them in that. But if you do have grandparents that that are safe, that are physically safe and emotionally safe, um, you know, find ways to include them. And so as you pull things away from them, and they feel like they're losing grip, give them new things to replace those things, so that they feel part of the situation and part of the holiday. Um, we also want to ask our spouse these questions. A lot of times we, you know, we get married and. We haven't even figured out marriage yet, and we have a kid, and then we start trying to do Christmas and Thanksgiving, and, and people are like, wait, what? Y'all cook what for this, and y'all do what for that? And I can't believe your mom does this every year. And I mean, it's just, it can be so chaotic if we don't establish these things early on and if we don't talk through them. So make sure we're doing that. You know, a few ideas for holiday traditions with little ones include, like, you know, cooking together, making gingerbread cookies or making holiday cookies or whatever you want, reading special stories each year. So, you know, I know at our house we have, you know, different seasons of books that are in the shelves and they all come out whenever it's time and, and we read these new stories as if we've never read them and um, unless they break into the closet and bring out the Christmas books in like July, which happens. Um, and then I'm, we're singing Jingle Bells for like six months. But, you know, reading those special stories, making a certain food that you don't cook, um, and then putting, you know, putting up kid-friendly decorations if you have kids. You know, I know 
that's one of the funny things about becoming a parent is before parents you have, you know, before you have kids, you have like, you know, these nice decorations and lamps and, you know, candelabras and certain, you know, things that go on the mantle. And, and then you have a baby and everything's like, um, red, green, yellow, blue, you know, it's just, just the color wheel is splattered all over your house and you don't really care, you know, what it looks like. And then as they get a little bit older, you can go back to, making it a little nicer, nicer, but man, having those kid friendly decorations, I know we, we, you know, we do a snowman on the door and pin the nose on the snowman and try to have these things that our kids are going to remember that they look forward to every year. Um, that really spark those, those memories because, um, you know, they need it. Um, and so there, there's a lot of, you know, it might seem like there's a lot of pressure that you have to do it perfectly. Um, but, try not to feel that. Right. So I'm giving you some ideas, but you don't have to have the, the perfect tradition. Um, and my advice would be, you know, start really small, something that's fun and special that doesn't have to be expensive or outlandish or time consuming. I mean, in reality, you should shoot for not doing that. You know, you're going to spend a lot of time and energy creating something, putting something up that they're going to care less about. So it's the small things, right? It's the chance to spend a moment together, truly enjoying one another, truly laughing, truly celebrating the season in each other. Um, traditions become special because they're shared amongst each other, not because of the tradition, right? We've lost that. I think we, we tend to focus on the tradition more than we do the connection. And that's because many of us have so much family history and so much trauma that, you know, we settle for these things as if they're going to make a difference in our connection. When in reality, we have to have connection first if the tradition is going to mean anything. And so some things we do is, you know, for us, we, again, we break out decorations at a certain time. We put the tree up at a certain time. I, I'm, I used to be, um, super annoyed if anybody did anything for Christmas before Thanksgiving. And so my family would make fun of me because I'd be like, we're, why are we listening to Christmas music? We don't need to put anything up. We need to celebrate, you know, Thanksgiving. And as soon as Thanksgiving is over, we can do all the, the Christmas stuff. And then I have kids and I'm like, I want to start before Thanksgiving. So we have a whole month of, of Christmas. And, you know, my wife is like, gets mad that the whole season is skipped over. She's looking for decorations the last couple of weeks. She's like, there's no Thanksgiving anything because everybody just wants to go straight to Christmas. It's like Hobby Lobby starts, starts putting out ornaments in, um, you know, July or August. And it's, it's insane. So the consumerism can, can, you know, take over. Um, one of the other things we do is what's called a thankful pumpkin. So when we finish um, Halloween and we have the little pumpkins out on the front porch, we take one of those and um, in every day of November we write one thing we're thankful for and we talk about it and pray about it and celebrate that as a family. Um, and at the end of November we have you know all these things to look at and, and be thankful for. Uh, for Christmas, what we started doing, I know everybody loves the elf on the shelf. I'm not going to, I might do a podcast in a couple weeks on all these things, but um, I don't want to make everybody mad at me. Uh, find a star is what we do. So um, they have the three wise men and the star and every day it tells the story um, uh, of the wise men and of, of the coming of Christ. And you hide the star and the kids have to find the star and then bring the wise men to the star. And then obviously on Christmas morning that you bring them to the manger and then you tell the story. And I, I've really enjoyed that. I don't think it's called find the star, but that's, you can Google it. I'm sure you can, can um, look it up. And then, like, you know, just this week, it's Louisiana, so for us, you know, cold is not that cold, but we lit the first fire, and so the kids are in front of the fire reading books and hanging out, and and then for us, you know, for adults, it can be like watching Christmas Vacation or eggnog or whatever it is that, that you do, but these traditions are important, um, and they can be fun, and, and you don't have to overdo it. It can just be very, very simple. 
um, playing certain music, right? All those things. So one of the things we want to make sure we don't do is we want to avoid possessiveness over the past, right? You and you and your spouse, we, we have ideas about what's perfect or, you know, the not so perfect holiday traditions that we grow up with. And maybe it's a family gathering or certain food or whatever. Try not to hold on to those things so tight. Try not to be so possessive over them because at the end of the day, it's about the connection. It's about the people. It's not about the event and not about the tradition. Um, and, you know, you got to talk about this stuff ahead of time. So when kids enter the family, um, you may have things, like we said, that, that you want to continue and you want them to experience these special moments. But try not to project over them what it was like for you because it might have meant something to you. It might have been valuable to you because of what you didn't have or because of a certain aunt or a certain uncle or a certain situation. And no matter how you try to curate that or create that for your kids, they're not going to have the same feeling. You know, my parents, um, they did a lot for Christmas. They tend to tend to overdo it. I look back at all the pictures and we had tons of, you know, tons of presents, like sitting in front of the tree and there's like 40 things there. And I'm like, how did you guys afford that? And my mom's like, we didn't, you know, we put all this money into Christmas because we didn't have any money the rest of the year. And so we really wanted to make Christmas a big deal. And, and I love her for that. It's very sweet. But at the same time, um, it, it can set things up for failure and it can be overwhelming. And so try not to do things out of a sense of, um, you know, entitlement or out of a sense of like, oh, we're going to make up for this other thing because then you get yourself in a hole and you have to um, stick with it. And so then you spend way too much money and you get overwhelmed. So think about it in your own life. What are some traditions from the past that are non-negotiables? What are some things that are like, these are the things we have to have, like certain foods, certain um, certain family gatherings, some certain activities. You know, make sure you, you explain that to your spouse, explain to your family, this is really important to me. Here's why it's important to me. So that means you have to know why it's important to you. You know, work through some of those emotions and feelings of, man, is this really important or am I just like in this in this emotional state because it has meaning to me that it won't have for anybody else? Um, what are some ways that we can modify it to fit our new family better? And then what are some traditions that we can gently let go of or incorporate in a different way for our own kids? Because, you know, they're different human beings. They have different personalities, different styles, and it's just not going to land well with them in the same way that it did for us. Um, sometimes families are bigger. Sometimes families are smaller. Sometimes there's location issues, but um, those are some questions you can ask. One of the biggest shifts um, between traditions with extended family, you know, before a baby and after is our focus. And our focus needs to shift to our family, our unit, and our family's needs. Now, this isn't like a selfish thing. It is, but it's not in the sense of I don't care about my extended family. It's just our our extended family, our parents, they had us. They grew up. They did Christmas morning. They did Christmas you know, day. They did Thanksgiving, and they were in control. They were in charge, and they made whatever decisions that they were to make, and they did it in the way they wanted to, or at least in the way they, they should have wanted to. And so however they chose to do that, if they, if they stayed in a toxic way where they, you know, they kind of did whatever their parents wanted and they didn't do what they wanted. And so now their grandparents are now their parents and they want to do what they want to do. We can't fall into that trap. We have to focus on our kids, their routine, what's best for them. And we can't shift that too much in order to just make everyone happy. We have to prioritize our family's needs and that's going to set you up for success as you go through the holidays. Again, that doesn't mean you don't do anything you don't like, right? That's not, I'm not overgeneralizing and saying you do you and you do what's good for you and only you and all those kind of things. I'm saying 
that you first have to start with your family and not get caught up in the routines. You know, so you've got to decide um, what you're going to do in that. And there can be, listen, there can be a lot of feelings of betrayal, of competition. You know, we get married and, and we struggle with, we already have, a lot of us already have so many attachment issues and we feel um, sometimes like we're abandoning our family or we're trading our family for our spouse's family. And all these things can come up, especially if you're new parents. You don't even know you're going to feel these things. It was fine whenever you were single, but then you become a parent and you start taking things away or adding things. And man, things can get really messy really bit, really quickly. Um, and this message is for grandparents and parents. It's vital that you encourage your kids to do their own thing and then for them to include you when possible. And what I mean by that is if you missed out, I'm sorry. Like, I hate that for you. I hate that, that if that's the cycle and, you know, of course ask for what you need and, and ask to be included, but it's really helpful to, to new parents when their mom or their dad or their grandparents says, Hey, you know, we had our time, we raised you, we had fun with you. So you guys plan and let us know how we can be involved and, and we'll be there and we'll show up and, and we'll love on you guys and we'll bring stuff. And, but when, when the cycle is the kid, who's a kid has to be, has to be an adult. And then as an adult, they have to be an adult, you know, just, they have to take care of the adults always. And they don't get to get to be the kid or they don't get to be the parent. They can be very toxic um, and very unhealthy and resentment builds. And so as a parent, as a parent of a kid with kid, new kids, as a grandparent, you know, just communicate with them as best you can. Like, it's okay, guys. Like we don't have any expectations you know, we want to be with you, but we understand we were parents. We understand the sleepless nights. We understand the exhaustion. We understand the traveling and all those kind of things because it can be a big issue. And so talk about those things because if not, it's going to get really unhealthy and really stressful um, and disaster will strike over the holidays. So talk about, you know, what foods are going to be, what foods are going to get cooked, how late there are people going to stay up, you know, where are we going to do Thanksgiving, who's going to host what, you know, all these things can be very touchy when we lose sight of, of what's really important. In some cases, right, there's a lot of pressure to create this kind of perfect environment. And we're doing that a lot more now because of social media and the comparison game. We used to do it. We'd look at our neighbors and go, well, they got their lights up or they got these decorations. And now we're on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, looking at, you know, all of these families gearing up and all these decorations and all of these homes that are perfect and curated. You know, the kids are in these cute outfits like it's so annoying to me when we all play that game because man, when we take our kids to do Christmas photos, it is a train wreck, right? We're, we're, we're trying to get them. I'm like, you know, by the end of it, I'm trying not to yell at the top of my lungs and threaten their lives to stand and smile. Somebody's crying. Somebody's tired. Somebody fell asleep on the way to whatever thing we're going to tr Christmas tree farm to take it. Um, and a couple years ago, <laughs> Jude, um, he was like spitting and yelling and throwing a fit. And so we have all those pictures, but of course, you know, we post the one, the one or two pictures we got of everybody smiling. And so just, just remember, we're all going through that. Everybody's tired and overwhelmed and running here and there. And, and, um, my challenge for us in the, on this episode is like, let's change that. We have a choice. We have the ability to slow these things down and, and prioritize meaning and prioritize celebrating what it is that we're actually there to do. The next thing I want to talk about, so we covered kind of, you know, just dealing with all that in general and remembering what it's like to be new parents. And the, the next thing is travel. I mean, this is a huge issue that I hear everybody complaining about and trying to figure out. And when it's our first kid, man, it's the, the start of the, our, you know, our lives. We usually don't have any money. We don't have a lot of money for 
flights and travel and gifts. I mean, one of the things that's so hard is, you know, even if you have a small family, if you're going to spend money on gifts, for example, you know, you got to bring all that stuff with you. You got to travel with it. You got to ship it, whatever. So you, you got to, you know, pay attention to that. You know, kids have to fly. Kids have to ride in the cars. Kids need toys and food and security and all these things. And yet a lot of times as families, the people who are retired and have nothing else going on, and I don't mean that they don't do anything. I just mean they don't have to take this kid with all this stuff. They're the ones who expect everybody to come to their house, come to their thing. And we as kids, sometimes we're like, we want to honor our family and honor our parents. We want to show up there. When in reality, most likely when they were our parents, they did everything at their house. You know, mom, I'm shouting out to you, but you know, my mom's dream I know is to have all the grandkids in her house and to wake up on Christmas morning and her to be able to celebrate that. And, and I laugh and mess with her because I'm like, you did have that. We got, we never slept at my grandparents' house for Christmas morning. I never slept at my grandparents and got up. I was at my house in my bed doing my thing. And yet so many kids are not at their house and not in their bed and not getting to get up in, in their space on Christmas morning or the day after because somebody's trying to satisfy someone else's need for, you know, attention or affirmation or affection that should be well-established, right? Which is hard to hear and hard to deal with, but, and we're all doing it. And I'm sure when I'm a grandparent, I'm going to want the same things and we're going to have to work it out. Um, but let's, let's pay attention to what we're doing during these holidays and what we're actually expecting of our adult children with new kids and babies and toddlers and, and all the things that come with it. Because, where they sleep, how they sleep affects everything. And so you take a vacation with a kid or you come over for Christmas and maybe the kid's not a good sleeper and the, and the parents spend the next four or five days getting no sleep and being miserable throughout the day. It's like, what kind of vacation is that? So think about what's going to be best for everyone, right? What's going to be time consuming for everyone. Save your money on a flight, pay for somebody else's flight for them to come there, right? Trade the money, share the resources, pull it together and figure out what's going to be best for everybody. If you've got teenage kids and older kids, go to the person with the baby, figure something out, whatever, whatever's best. And again, everything's going to be specific to your family and your needs, but talk about these things, deal with these things, make compromises with these things. Because if we don't, the holiday just becomes a mindless chore that everybody has to get done or get through. And we get done with it. And everybody comes to my office the next week and has loads of trauma, loads of things to share, loads of things they wish they would have said, all kinds of triggers, all kinds of issues, right? And again, we're just talking about traveling. I'm not even doing a, a, a podcast on the actual family systems of this whole thing, which is a whole nother issue. The other problem is that, right, this is the last thing I'm going to say about this, is we're trying to make up for lost time. Man, so many times I think holidays, we don't spend time with our families throughout the year. We don't talk. We don't have a connection. And then we're like, okay, we got to get it all in on Thanksgiving Day. We're going to make up for all these things that we didn't do throughout the year. We got to find all this connection. Um, and yeah, sometimes it's distance, right? Sometimes we, we have great connection with people and, and we do want to spend holidays together because it's the only time. But man, if I. I talked to my dad yesterday and the day before and the day before and the day before a couple times in the week before. And we've talked about life and, and we've prayed and we've shared things and, you know, we've done all those kind of things. Um, then does Thanksgiving day have to be that different or that big of a day? Could it be that we miss that and we do it the week after and we resell, you know, just, just something to think about why we put so much pressure on, on these things when all of this other stuff is so much more important. And so just don't try to make up, 
don't try to let yourself be in this space of anxiety and fear and and angst so you know that you have to get it all in on this one day or this this couple of days because if you don't you don't have until next year right and that's part of the problem is we we have to i mean it's kind of like church on sunday right it's like you don't do anything throughout the week and all the pressure comes on to the staff and to the congregation because you got to get it in on sunday because we're not going to have church the rest of the time we've got to do better than that we've got to spread it out throughout the year and and make sure we're having connections and then you know children from divorced homes just a shout out to you because i know that's a lot of people that are listening that makes it even harder so we got all these problems going on all these things going on and then if you are a child of a divorced family then you got three or four places to go right you got three or four places to take your kids three or four you know parties and visits to happen three or four dinners to eat and you spend your time running around like a crazy person and so here's some tips right some direct tips for visiting extended family right so here's some things we can do i think there's i got five of them yep so tip one be flexible right the timing of the holidays is got to be flexible or it's going to be chaotic Make sure we set times up ahead of time, right? This is tip two, be proactive. Set times up ahead of time. Talk, plan ahead to extended family on what you will and not be doing and be able to attend. If you can't make a scheduled gathering, try to plan and make sure you spend some time with your extended family at a different time. Make sure to communicate how much you do appreciate and love them and explain ahead of time why this year isn't going to work. Then try to schedule something that, you, you know, they have to look forward to. So if you're like, hey, we can't do Thanksgiving, but we're going to come on Saturday or we're going to come the week after. Or, hey, we're not going to do Christmas this year, but next year you get three days or extra days or, or whatever it is. Make sure you're proactive. So one, be flexible, right? Check in with everybody. See who, what's best for everybody that we talked about earlier. Have a little flexibility. Don't just stick to your routine. If you know if it's not the food you like, if it's not the, the fried turkey that you want, if it's not the mac and cheese that you have to be flexible, right? You can go home and make mac and cheese if you want to. Two, be proactive. So talk about it. Three, um, be brief, man. If you're visiting extended family, it, it means an overnight stay sometimes, right? Um, keep it brief because if you're there for more than three days, psychology says we fall back into our routines. We fall back into old family structures, old family patterns, and we end up becoming the kid again, however unhealthy or unhelpful that is, right? So no matter what stage we're in, once we become the kid again, our spouse is like, why are you acting like that? Why are you being a baby? Why are you, you know, and there's conflict not only between mom and dad and grandparents and grandparents, but everybody. Because we're we're back to these things that we're not in. We're adults, we're parents, we're, we're separated, and then we come in and we stay three or four or five days. By the fifth day, everybody's back in their roles, black sheep, you know, all those things. So be careful of that. Because when we start playing out those old family dynamics, it you know, conflict is sure to arise. Number four, be firm. Keep your boundaries. If your family's being pushy about their agenda, be firm in what is best for you and your kids, right? Stick to your schedule. Stick to what's best. And make sure you tell them why that is. Don't let family guilt trips or shame um, make you change your decision and make you make unhealthy choices that's going to cost you, your child, right? And then you're just going to do do this thing that's superficial, so don't do this. Don't don't compromise your boundaries for the idea of Christmas holidays, the idea of a meal, um, and compromise what you know is best so someone else can feel more secure in their own attachment style. 
they should already feel attached. Your relationship should already be secure. And if it's going to take a one day event or a one dinner or one gift or buying a certain thing a certain way to fully support that, then it's not there anyway. It's not real. And so if, if one of the boundaries you have is we're not doing Christmas gifts, here's why I can't afford it. And everybody gets mad. That says a lot more about them than it does you. Step five, I can go on a tangent about that, but step five, be kind. Model for your kids how to demonstrate kindness towards extended family. I can't say this enough. They're paying attention. They're watching how we talk. They're watching how we host. They're watching how hospitable we are. They're watching if we pray before meals. They're watching how we celebrate and where we put the focus. And so we have to be kind. And when we get back, when we leave something, avoid overanalyzing the visit. Don't rehash it and don't just go over it and beat yourself up to death or shame or gossip about somebody else. Talk about it, let it go, but make sure you don't do it in front of your kids and make sure you keep that limited or, or it's just going to fester and you're just going to be mad. Choose to remember the positive and comment carefully on anything you change for the future. So be careful as you're talking about, oh, well, your mom's this or your dad did this and, and you get yourself so worked up. If you're unsure how to balance your family's new traditions, right, make a plan, be proactive. Some of the best new traditions with extended family are formed after we mess it up, right? So we have to try some things, and it might not go well this year. You might try something, and it fall flat, right? You might take your kids to a vacation, or you might go, hey, we're going to go see the lights in Dallas this year. We're going to go see the lights in the city over, and it might be a dumpster fire. Last year, we, we planned on taking them to go do all these things, and we ended up just not doing any of it and stopping at this hotel and, and doing like a hotel stay and doing Christmas lights because it was just like, what were we thinking? What were we planning? Right? We lost some money, but at the end of the day, we, we made a quick decision and did what was best for our kids and didn't keep going because we were like, oh, we already planned this. This is going to be great. It was too much, and our kids were too little, and we just didn't realize it until we got halfway into it. And so we go, okay, we learned from that. we got to do things differently. Um, so those are my tips on that stuff. I'm going to get into this because people have asked me to cover it. Um, it shouldn't take me too long, but I want to go over this a little bit. So the other thing about holidays that's really important to me is protecting our kids from sexual abuse and harm. And so I know, I know we're switching gears here a little bit and we're going from how do I deal with family and how do I set traditions and how do I do all these fun things that how to I protect my kids. But you know, the number one seasons for sexual trauma and sexual abuse is during the holidays. Um, and this happens most likely without intention or um, it starts innocently. But, it, you know, we if we don't pay attention to these things and we don't know about them, then they they become life sentences for our kids that um, they carry with them forever. I know some of that happened in my life and it happens in so many. I think the sexual abuse status, one in three girls and one in five boys um, by 18 experience sexual trauma. And many of them happen um, during holidays and during the times when you know you think you think your kids should be the safe because eighty two percent of of perpetrators are people that we know. It's not random strangers. And the other thing is with iPads and cell phones getting younger and younger in kids' hands, we have to be even more intentional around friends and family to make sure our kids are prepared, supervised, and that we talk after the visits. Right, so I'll say those again. We have to prepare, equip our kids. We have to supervise better, and we have to talk and and kind of revisit after these visits to make sure um, our kids are okay. And so, if we do these things, I know it sounds scary when we talk about this, but if we do these things, we can reduce the likelihood for abuse by like ninety percent. Research says. Um, again, many abuses 
happen child-on-child play that turns into abuse or turns into toxicity due to a lack of understanding, early exposure, or previous abuse. So you have a cousin or an older sibling or somebody who has seen something they're not supposed to see, who doesn't know what they're doing is wrong because they don't know the correct things to do with their body, and no one's talked to them about it, or they've already been previously abused by someone else, and so they're acting that out with your child or with a child in the home. There's a really good book um, called The ABCs of Consent. You can check that out, um, and it'll walk you through a lot of this stuff. Um, But I'm going to just give you, like, the top tips and then tell you the red flags. So I want you to know that your child's voice matters. So using the anatomically correct names for body parts reduces shame and helps keep our kids safe. We have to use the terms penis and vagina. We have to give them that language because they then reduce shame. They reduce taboo. They reduce weirdness. And they're able to say those things and say, no, you can't do that. You can't touch that. You can't see that. And the perpetrator or the child who is being inappropriate, they know your kid is clued in. They know they know boundaries. And so they're going to move away and they're going to step back because they don't want to get in trouble. They don't want to get caught. But if your kid doesn't know the proper terms, if they if they're already ashamed of their body, if they think it's weird or secretive, then they're a lot more likely to get manipulated. We want to teach our kids that their um, their mouth and their areas covered with a diaper or their underwear are private. We want to teach them about private parts. Um, this means there are areas that shouldn't be touched by others except for caregivers that are safe, and you, you want to name those people. You want to say, here, hey, mommy and daddy are the only ones this weekend or, or tonight who can who can clean you or touch you underneath your diaper or underneath your underwear. No one else should be doing that. And if someone tries to, you run and you come and tell me. We want to we want to teach them about what safe and unsafe feels like in their body. So if you feel nervous, if your belly hurts, if your tummy hurts, if you get jittery, if you get sweaty, if you feel uncomfortable, if you if you feel scared, if your head hurts, right? Because someone's saying or trying to do something to you, that's that's a red flag, buddy. That you know, you need to pay attention to that and you need to know that's danger. And then you need to come and tell a trusted adult and they need to know who those trusted adults are. You know, there's going to be a lot of people over here. There's going to be people you don't know, but me and mommy or mommy and daddy or or grandparent or grandmother or whoever, those are people you can come to and and we're going to be checking on you. Caregivers need to set boundaries around issues of health, hygiene, and safety, like things that, you know, your kids need to know what is, what's, what's up and what's the thing. Um, Otherwise kids, you know, themselves should be encouraged to set the boundaries about who touches them when and how. So working through those both th- both of those things, you know, we have a uh, a sheet. It's on another podcast, but you know, it's I'm the boss of my body, and and no one touches me underneath my uh, underwear. No one washes me. No, I, you know, no one tells me to keep a secret. I, you know, these sorts of things that are on there. So my kid knows the rules, and then the people in my family, the babysitters, whoever, ever they know that they knows those rules. Um, there there should be some hard boundaries, right? There there the things that absolutely can't be crossed and then there are soft boundaries that are flexible you know if somebody wants to take them outside or somebody wants to pick them up and carry them you know it's you're not acting like a crazy person you're not running around assuming everyone's going to abuse your child but it's setting up a system and an awareness in our kids and in ourselves and in the people around us that oh okay we're all on board with this is a thing and no one's going to just sneak around and get away with something that reduces the likelihood of someone doing anything um, or trying something, even children, because they don't want to get caught. They don't want to get in trouble. So we're not going to put thoughts in their head. We're not going to put ideas in their head that aren't already there. 
kids kids don't know those things unless those things that I mentioned earlier, exposure, abuse, uh, inappropriate boundaries have already been crossed. So um, messaging about consent is very, very important. So consent, right, is is me giving you permission. And so this starts at birth and evolves as these kids get older. And as we gracefully accept, right, when our kids say no to going and hugging someone or kissing someone, then we're modeling for children how they can respond when they're being told no and also when someone is being aggressive and trying to touch them or hold them in a way that's inappropriate. So we don't want to pick a kid up and say, give me a kiss, and they say no, and we're like, give me a kiss, and just keep forcing it even though they're crying, and then everybody kind of laughs. I've seen this stuff at holiday parties. I've seen this stuff in, in groups in public. You know, oh, your grandmother's here. Go give her a kiss. Oh, you know, I don't want to. Well, go do it anyway. That's disrespectful. Or, oh, she's going to feel sad, or grandpa's going to feel sad because you don't want to give him a hug. No, it's fine if they don't want to hug them. There may be a reason in that moment they don't. They might circle back to it and do it later. But we certainly don't force people to go hug people as adults. And so we need to set that precedent up early. We need to lay the foundation for what future healthy relationships should look like and what consent looks like. And that happens during the holidays, especially. It's a prime time to teach those lessons to our kids and give them autonomy and help them to feel safe. Then we need to be conscious of, of the language we use, right? We want to reflect our intention, um, but also we need to know the impact that our words have on these kids and the message we're going to be sending unintentionally. So just be careful as we laugh or as we say things about their bodies or we, you know, people say, oh, you gained some weight or, oh, that looks pretty or look how sexy she is. I hear people use this language around kids. That's their girlfriend. That's their boyfriend. And these kids are three and four. They pick up on these things and they sexualize things that should never be sexualized. So just be careful in the language we use around them. Um, and then lastly, if a child tells you something has happened, believe them. Allegations are very, very low, very, very unlikely to be false reports. So we need to take these things seriously. We need to, you know, even if we know the adult and we'd say, oh, they would never do something like that. We need to take it seriously. If they've, even if they've never been suspected of that before, we need to, to listen to them. And so lastly, signs to look for, because sometimes our kids aren't going to outright tell us. But we may have some weird feeling or some gut feeling that something's off. And even if you don't know exactly what it is, listen to your gut. Listen to your parent gut. Listen to your uncle gut, whatever it is, that, and, and reach out, right? There are a lot of signs that children may give that, that suggest something's going on. Um, but here's a few that I want to, to talk about. And they, they may indicate sexual abuse, um, but they've, they've got to kind of all come together. Um, so typical sexual behaviors for kids, being curious about their private parts and about their bodies. So, you know, touching themselves, pulling on their genitals, doing those kind of things, rubbing their own genitals. Those are all normal, typical behaviors. Playing games that involve private areas of themselves are also pretty normal, right? Running around being like, tee poo-poo, pee-pee, whatever. Look at my penis. You know, th those things are silly, but they're typical. They're they're typical sexual behaviors. Uh, saying grown-up words without deeper knowledge, like uh, if, if they're, you know, they're saying sex or they're saying something that they don't really understand, but they've heard somewhere, you know, they're just throwing words out, but they don't really understand what it means. And then, you know, lifting their shirt up, lifting their dress up, kicking their legs up in the air. These are things that typical kids do. It makes us uncomfortable when we talk about this because... Again, we've sexualized everything so much. Many of us have our own trauma and our own issues, and so we think of everything sexual when the kid's just developmentally figuring out their body. What aren't typical? So here are the things to look out for, especially atypical behaviors, child sexual behaviors, acting out sexual positions, 
right? So if they're doing a position or they're making noises or doing something, playing games that involve private parts, so that especially if they're deceitful or manipulative or pressuring or, or trying to talk another kid into it, those things are not normal. Those are atypical. Saying grown-up grown words with more understanding of what they mean. So when they talk about sex and they're talking about two people having sex and they're, and they're talking in specific ways, maybe they're using, even using curse words to describe it, then that's, that's atypical. Typically, uh, a kid, a young child especially, doesn't understand what that means. They, they're not just repeating. They're saying something specific. Pressuring other children to remove their clothes or to look at their private areas. It's pretty atypical for a kid who hasn't been exposed or seen something to ask to see someone else's private parts, especially if they've been given the proper training and they've been talked to about these things and they've, they know, you know, proper terms. So if a, a child is asking another kid to see their private parts or vice versa, this, is, this speaks to their exposure. And then lastly, sexual behavior directed towards adults or towards other children of more than two years um, younger than them. So if it's a nine-year-old and they're acting sexual towards a five-year-old or a five-year-old acting sexual towards a two-year-old, these things are highly um, likely that there's been sexual abuse or sexual trauma going on. So we want to watch out for these things in our, in our nephews and our nieces and, and one, to protect our own children, but two, to, to you know, figure out what's going on and, and help the parents who might not know or who might not suspect or who might not have the tools um, to protect them. And so if you if you hear these things and that's something you've experienced or you've seen, please reach out. Please email me. I'll give you some numbers to call or reach out to Sexual Abuse Prevention Hotline or uh, DCFS, Department of Childhood and Family Services, um, and get some support. So I'll wrap this up and say, you know, it's important that we know how to have proper boundaries during the holidays, especially with our family whether it's boundaries with travel or whether it's families, uh, boundaries with just tradition or whether it's boundaries literally with, with our children and their sexual development. Because again, there's so much history and so much generational sin and brokenness that we're passing down that, that is eroding our country. And holidays shouldn't be the time when the, these are the highest statistics of conflict, the highest statistics of abuse, the highest statistics of violence. These should be the lowest. And yet in the church and outside of the church, the stats look the same. So we, we can do something about that. We can't, we can't save the world, but we can affect our sphere of influence. And, and I, I say all these things to validate those that listen, that want to be healthy, that, that trust their gut, that go, I want to do these things. I'm, I'm giving you some tools to go, here's what it is, and here's what's true, and here's what's healthy, and here's how to fit in the remnant. Here's how to be in the minority, because you look around and you see how everybody else is doing it, run run from how we celebrate Christmas, run from how we celebrate Thanksgiving, run from how we shop and buy and do, run from the stress because that does not put you in the minority. And Matthew says that wide, wide is the road and gate that leads to hell and many find it and few, few find this narrow path that we're talking about. And so try to find the narrow path this holiday season with your family. Do the thing that other people aren't doing. Be the change, be the healthy person, be the light in the darkness we have to make a difference in our families' lives and in our kids' lives. And guess what? They'll grow up and their normal will be healthy. Our normal might be toxic, but we can set it up to where generations from now we look back and we see a healthy, healthy, healthy family, healthy holidays, celebrating in the right way. And we can only do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can only do this by being in prayer this week as, as the holidays come up, asking God to direct you, to show you maybe blind spots, show you things in your life that, that need to change, show you traditions that we we want to keep that are, that are really toxic, but that we feel obligated to do. 
and use our support, use our community around us and, and make sure people call you and check in on you. And if you say, Hey, I don't want to do this this year that I always do tell a friend. And so they can call you and say, Hey, remember you didn't want to eat that, or you didn't want to buy that, or you didn't want to do that. You know, before you go, go to a therapy session and say, Hey, I got to talk to my dad. I got to be around my mom. Help me to remind me what's true. Help me not to be triggered by the things they say, help me avoid, or maybe don't go. Right. That's the last thing I'll say about holidays. You don't have to go. If it's toxic and abusive and unkind and unhealthy, and the only reason you're going is because you don't want to look bad or you're taking care of the other person's feelings, please stop right now. Ah, take some deep breaths. Center yourself. Spend some time in the Word. Spend some time with the Spirit and ask yourself, fill your body, fill your heart, fill your mind and say, what do I really want? What do I need? What is glorifying to God? What are the good things that I want to bring this holiday season for my kids and my family? And if I don't want to go is the answer, is I don't want to do this is, is the initial response, then think about maybe not. Take a break for a year. Reevaluate next year until you're more solid and more safe and more secure in your own self, until you've done some work to be around people. Because you want to be around them and not be resentful. You want to be around them and not be angry. You want to be around them and not be triggered. And if you're going to be around them and be triggered and overwhelmed and traumatized, and it's going to be a waste of your time. Why even do it? Why even show up for the event, the event and leave going, why did I do that? I hate myself for doing that. I feel worse than I ever felt. God has given us these traditions and these holidays and these moments to take time to, to be renewed, to be around people who renew us and strengthen us and bring us together who are family, maybe not in blood, but, but by the, the body of Christ. So think about that. At the end of the day, you have to do whatever's best for your little ones and for you. And again, that doesn't mean being selfish and not doing hard things. It, it means doing it in a way that you can do hard things. But when you're doing those hard things, it's, it's for the love and the, full of love and full of grace for other people. So I hope this helps. I hope you have a great Thanksgiving coming up next week. Um, we'll probably do another one before Christmas on gifts and, and the nonsense that we do. I probably should have done it six months ago since most people have already done all their shopping. But here's to you and yours. God bless you. Happy Thanksgiving.